Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. I truly believe that thoughts are the greatest vehicle to change. We do not care whether the cat is black or white, as long as it can catch mice. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. To those waiting with bated breath for that favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. You turn if you want to. The ladies not for turning. To love what you do and feel that it matters, how could anything be more fun? Is a quote from American publisher and former CEO of the Washington Post company, Catherine Graham, who is renowned for transforming the Washington Post into one of the leading newspapers in the United States. I thought this was a fitting quote for our guest today, one of Australia's most recognised media industry leaders. Our guest is Cathy O'Connor, Chief Executive Officer and Managing Director of O-Media, one of Australia's largest out-of-home media companies with a connected offline and online ecosystem comprising of over 35,000 locations across Australia and New Zealand. Prior to this, she was Chief Executive Officer of Nova Entertainment for 12 years. Cathy is also a Governor for the Cerebral Palsy Alliance and Director of the Outdoor Media Association and the Sony Foundation. Hello and welcome to the 100th episode of No Limitations, a show where we speak to elite world-class performing men and women and unlock the secrets and influences that have shaped their destinies and that you could apply to your own life. For our first-time listeners from all over the world, please don't forget to follow on your preferred podcast platform and share with your friends and colleagues. And for our listeners in Monaco, Ireland and Argentina, a big hello. I am your host, Greg Robinson, Managing Partner of Blenheim Partners, Executive Search and Board Advisory. In an insightful conversation, Kathy shares with us her story from her early days in radio to being at the helm of Nova Entertainment, to now leading a pioneering company, making public spaces better and brands unmissable. We cover the essence of leadership, the synthesis of a collective contribution and how one size fits none. So sit back and enjoy stepping in and stepping up. Kathy, a very big welcome to our 100th show. Thank you. Great to be here. Kathy, what is leadership to you? Well, there's a big question to start with. Look, I think I could answer it in a number of different ways. I, I think for me, you know, the concept of a leader is about being followed. Uh, so leadership is really about, you know, charting a course to the future and in doing that, being able to bring people along with you, uh, be that in a corporate sense, be it in a sports sense. Um, so it is a, a sense of the future, looking forward and how you bring yourself to that. Mm. Uh, and it's also, in my experience, a lot about who you put around you to lead. Uh, you know, having an idea for the composition of what you're leading is as important as the ability to lead in itself. Uh, so I always come to team. Leadership to me is a team pursuit. It's not an individual pursuit. And uh, therefore, you need to have a keen sense of yourself 
and a keen sense of how it all comes together to get that sort of forward momentum. And so when I look at a business, I'm really keen, obviously, to understand all the factors that are playing out in the external environment, but also how the whole effort comes together to create that forward momentum. And, um, you know, you need that when you're out in front as a leader and you also need it when you're not, you're far back in the pack and you need to start the march. So I think it applies to any context in a corporate sense and any level of contribution in a business. It doesn't have to be a CEO thing. It, it, It really can apply in any small way right throughout it an enterprise, um, in my view. So when did you make your mind up that I'm going to um, become a leader? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? People say a leader's appointed or do they emerge? And I think I might have been one that emerged. I found in my early career, I was always being nudged forward and encouraged to step up to take roles. And I think perhaps whether that's a female thing or a Kathy O'Connor thing, um, I was probably in my first, in my two big breaks, really encouraged to have a crack and step forward and be considered. The first of those was my first general manager role in, in a radio station. And then the second one was making that move across to a national role, um, a national GM role and, and moving from, you know, one company to its main competitor. So those two things, I, I had a, th- a healthy dose of encouragement. By the time I was elevated to a CEO role, mm-hmm. I was very keen for that opportunity. So I actually felt ready. So I think the lesson to me is that the confidence builds with experience and you don't always, I wasn't born stepping forward, but I learned to step forward the more successful I became and the more I enjoyed, you know, the leadership role, building teams and and kicking goals with them. So Yeah, but as you say, someone's taken a risk early days on you. Well, yeah. not necessarily a risk, but supported you and backed you somewhat. Um, did you have the inner confidence at that stage? Well, look, I think I reflect on that and I also reflect on that and think about how I show up in yep. the people I employ. And often when you're recruiting, you're looking for that sort of perfect, perfect person. And depending on the on the context, the environment, the role, they're often not there. Yeah, really exist. Um, when you're promoting from within, it's always a step up. And when you're promoting externally, of course, you don't see things that you do see with internal. So there's never really a perfect answer there. But, you know, I, I like to think it's a balance of instinct and, and you know, what you observe in, uh, in the people you work with and, and for. Keen sense of self. What does that actually mean? Yeah, look, it's, it, it, I, I think it's really understanding how you lead and also appreciating that in any sort of business and team, not everyone's the same. And so you're going to naturally relate and work with some more better than you might others. Yep. But you need that diversity across the team. You need people with good brain for process and data. You need good people, good creative thinkers, people that are ideas driven. And then, you know, all the soft skills, you know, some will be stronger than others. So, and all of that is influenced by the leader. So a leader's style has an impact on how work comes together, how things progress. And if you're not actually aware of what your own tendencies are, you know, I just find it's a pretty poor place to start as a leader. So I'm always sort of thinking my strengths and I'm a very conceptual, uh, forward focused person. I like ideas and concepts. I like the future. I like, um, 
new things. Okay. Uh, and I've learned that the rigor of analysis and, and the assessment and, and the process that goes with sort of making magic into practical business strategies yep. is not a strength and is something that I need around me in a team. If you don't have that awareness, then you, you naturally might lean to a business that's all talking and no doing. And equally, um, you know, without that sort of inspiration, you might be a business that just analyzes itself into paralysis. So are you more the visionary, are you? So I would say my style is more visionary, more okay. collaborative, more open, more ideas and conceptually focused. Right. So I lean towards strategy. Yep. And that's not to say that I haven't learnt the sort of rigour of analysis and process, but it's a system. A business is a system yep. and and some people can apply themselves to all parts of the system, but you're generally in a team going to get strengths. And really it's how all of it comes together around the leader. Yeah. That is the recipe in my view. And if I don't know how I show up, then I may build an incomplete team or a team that is not fully functioning or has certain blind spots, groupthink, um, yeah. uh, you know, ineffectiveness in ways. So I actually think my contribution is where it starts, how I show up in in that boardroom, in conversations, in interactions with people uh, and in the way I think. And I want to supplement my strengths with other strengths in any team. So I kind of think it's a tapestry that you're working on and it moves and it, you know, some people will move in and out of teams over time. I'm always looking for that synthesis of the collective contribution. And so I would say I don't know if there's any one recipe for the great CEO or the great yep. leader, but I know the way I lean and I know what I'd, who I best work with and what, I, what a team I lead needs to look like. And in my view, it's balanced. Has it changed much in the last 24 months? No. Well, the only I've... reason I asked that, I had a chat with a CEO yesterday. It was an interesting call, actually who was um, feeling that key executives seem to be a bit lost, um, very fatigued, and there's real recognition of that, was struggling to think, how am I going to re-energize some of these people? It was a really open and honest dis discussion and starting to reflect on their own leadership style. Um, is it working now or was it time for a change? We've all been through some difficult times and your industry has been through some challenging times. Yeah. Have you had to adapt much or is it still consistency, leadership is leadership? I think there's a particular need at the moment to overcompensate with connection. And I think this has come out of the pandemic where people have felt there's a, a almost a, a conflict of, of views in the average sort of team and staff member, which is I love the flexibility that work gives me, mm. but I feel less connected to the business than I might once have. And they're very keen for that connection. Now, what I'm finding in the business says that we're in, it's not hard to get it back, but you probably have to be a little more, have more intent around connecting than you might have prior to this sort of couple of years that we've had with, with COVID and with lockdowns. People almost need to be encouraged to come back and connect. And having done that, we're finding that the staff that spend more time in the office are more highly engaged. Yeah. Um, so while they like the flexibility, they actually are happier when they're around people and that's in the office. Yep. So it's finding that happy medium and I think we're doing that. We're navigating it. It's, it varies by team. Uh, naturally, things like sales teams are very young and they they collaborate and, it, and there's a lot of interdependency in the ad sales side of the, our business and that's happening quite naturally. Yep. And some of the service functions I'm more relaxed about 
how they provide that connection. If they're more stimulated, they work more effectively remotely, then perhaps they'll be a slightly different balance of in the office versus at home. So I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. We say at O-Media, one-size-fits-none. And that's because we have a a very diverse workforce. Uh, We have a lot of field operatives that are out cleaning and building bus shelters every day that can't work from home and never have had the opportunity to work from home. And even in some of those very challenging postcodes where COVID was rampant, the staff didn't have the luxury of working from home. And, you know, because we are an essential service in that part of the business, they were having to endure some pretty tough conditions. So it's being sensitive to that adaptive approach in the business. Um, And I'm not a fan of legislating rules. I think we employ grown-ups and uh, together we navigate the future balance and what's right for the company and what's right for the individual. And that seems to be going quite well. Is it a better place to work now than it was a couple of years ago? Well, I wasn't there a couple of years ago. So um, look, I think it's always been a fantastic place to work on media. I hear repeatedly, uh, you know, I see it in engagement data, even, you know, most recent data is in the high level of engagement. Um, You know, the, even throughout the COVID period, those levels stayed relatively high. And people speak to the culture, the people, they love what they do, they're really passionate about the brand. So I feel very fortunate to have work, walked out of a business that had all of those attributes into a business that has them as well. And, you know, that's not to say that, you know, a change of leadership always brings a shift in any business. Yeah. And, you know, I think also at a pandemic in there, and we've had a period of adjustment like many businesses, both to new leadership and and to, co- to put the post-COVID world. But I'm very optimistic and feel that it's now really starting to hit its straps and build and reset for this next era, uh, which is perhaps going to be less about lockdowns and more about a more flexible sort of dynamic in the workforce. Kathy, if you could set up a billboard anywhere, a little bit left this this question, a little bit left field, (laughs) where would you put it and what would it say? Well, knowing the power of billboards as I do, I would put it in the most high-profile place I could get it. Um, yep. So I'm, we're talking Anzac Bridge, <laughs> Story Bridge, uh, you know, Westgate, Harbour Bridge. Uh, so, you know, obviously it's not – you don't just naturally put those billboards anywhere. But, it, you know, my view is that particularly with the evolution of the digital billboard, that yep. these are landmarks uh, okay. and in many ways they have a much broader utility than just advertising. They are – News uh, can, you know, convey news, convey a sense of, you know, a, a sense of the day, a sense of topicality, um, you know, the water cooler issues can be there in a in an ad or a, what to stream, what the news headlines are, what the, the sporting scores are. So, you know, I think Out of Home has a broad utility and therefore I would be sticking up a screen in the most prominent place that a council or, or a road authority would let me and yep. it would say the future's best advertising medium because I actually think that's what we have in Out of Home. I I genuinely believe in this world of fragmentation where audiences are getting smaller and they're shifting across multiple different environments and different devices. We have this privileged place in the future that's not can't be skipped, can't be missed. And with growing populations and growing cities, our audiences actually get stronger. And so this sort of mass reach proposition that is out of home is becoming more unique the further out we go. And that's one of the reasons why I made the move from another sector being being radio into into out of home. Okay. Let's let's go back to the beginning. So dad was a dentist. Yes. Correct? Yep. 
Uh, Mum looked after the six kids. Is that yes, right? Correct. Okay. Yep. Somewhere along the line, were you uh, a tea lady at a retirement village? Is that true? <laughs> I was. <laughs> is that true? Yeah, I was in year <laughs> eleven at the time. <laughs> it's a pretty so good is that job. where the marketing crew began, or the the uh, no the communications no. <laughs> crew began there? No, look, I always loved media. I loved radio. I used to listen to a lot of radio as a teenager. And the tea lady was just a really good job because you clocked on mid-afternoon and you clocked off before dinner and you could go out at night. So it just, you know, the average 18, 19-year-old, that suited, those hours were very good. And it, it was a, my sister's friend of a friend was a nurse there or something like that. But, good um, tea lady? Uh, was I a good tea lady? I was efficient. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't look. I, now I'm a bit of a tea snob, so I suspect I made pretty crook tea back in those days, and I wouldn't really enjoy the tea I was making. But um, look, I got it done. Press the the button on the washing machine, and off I went. So yeah, it was it wasn't a kind of passion job. Let's no, say. Don't, don't blame me. Now you were going to do law. Yep. Okay, and someone said, "Why don't you do something more interesting?" Yeah, and look, I think that just speaks to the era that I grew up in, where we had far less um, career advice from, mm. you know, I went to a good school, but didn't really guide you in careers. You, your parents were, you know, always supportive, but never involved. And so really, it turned on a dime like that. A friend said, I'm doing communications course. It's all about media and advertising, and it's really cool, and it's new. And I said, well, that sounds good. And I went in, got my form and changed it, and the rest is sort of history. And it definitely got my, me my first job in radio. 2SM? Yeah, 2SM. Um, that was pretty uh, pretty big ago. in its day. It was big in its day. I mean, FM had been around for five years, so it was on the way down. Yeah. So I think I, I, I say that I joined when it was sort of at or near the number one under 40 station. I think it was a very distant third or fourth by the time I left there. Um, but I moved over to talk radio for a couple of years and then into FM radio, which is where I really hit my sort of, uh, my career started to, to sort of evolve and so take What's off. that, Today FM? Yeah, Today FM in, in the advertising sales area. Yeah, I worked in agency sales into sales management and then got the break into sales director and general manager, which led to the national roles and then the CEO roles. So it's quite a linear path or within the one sector. Mm. And you know, I think the industry just provided that opportunity for me. So I think in this day and age, career paths are a little more fluid. Yep. And I look in, you know, uh, the people that we employ, they're often ex you're looking for different experiences, different sectors. Yep. I was very much a stay the course employee. It was all in Sydney and it was for, you know, only a handful of companies. So that was just my journey. Yeah. Big egos, big competition. I guess if anyone was smart, what was it? Don't underestimate you. Yeah. That, look, the egos, I, I've got a real attitude to the egos. The egos is what gets you the brilliance. So Agreed. You've got to support know, it and nourish it a little bit, don't you? And just yeah. don't get offended by it. There are egos right through business and right through humanity. Uh, look, I think it's all about being able to build that base relationship yep. with whoever the person is, whether it's a, a sporting talent or a musical talent or an on-air person or a TV star, really a basis of respectful, reciprocal relationships has to exist in any environment. And and also I think you you learn in life that you can't keep everyone happy all the time. You There will be, there will be flare-ups, there will be difficult conversations and you don't get better at those by avoiding them and they happen all the time and the more you do them, the better you get at them. So that again probably speaks to experience. I think with the you know, the more high profile people that I've managed over the years, 
you know, that respect needs to be there. But I think they also need to feel that you're on their side and that doesn't mean always giving them what they want or telling them what, what they need to hear. Um, you might do a bit of that, but, you know, they need to know at the end of the day you, if a call doesn't go their way or something happens they're unhappy with, you know, it's none of it's personal yep. and we move on and there's yep. always another day. And, um, again, there's skills that you develop. Some might naturally have them more than others. Paul Thompson, instrumental in your career? Absolutely. Um, you know, he was – so for the benefit of the audience, do you want to talk through so, who, was, yeah, who was Paul? So Paul, was Paul? Paul Thompson uh, founded the Austereo Network. So he was um, one of the very early successful bidders for the first FM licenses in Australia. Mm -hmm. And he acquired uh, the FM license in South Australia and then built a national network yeah. of licenses from there. And then uh, the merger with the Triple M Network um, created Austereo as we know it today. And he was the the leader that gave me my first break uh, as a general manager at the age of 29. That's impressive. And yeah, I still look back and go, what was he thinking? And he was always just a very passionate visionary. Uh, and then he moved, after he left Austereo, he then founded DMG Radio, which became Nova. Yeah. So he actually was able to, after leaving Austereo, regroup and build another radio network that looked quite different to the one he had built. Uh, which was still to that at that time very successful. So just a progressive thinker, um, a great leader, very high visionary, uh, lots of passion, good integrity, great sense of principles and strength, just a strong, wise leader who backed people that he believed in. Why do you back you? 29 years old. Gosh. Yeah, good question. As I said, <laughs> I thought he had rocks in his head. Um, he... He saw something in me that he didn't see in other people at the time. And I do remember my first interview with him and I said, look, I'm not sure what you're looking for in this role, but don't think I'm going to be the person with all the answers. I won't be that person. Right. I said, I've come from the sales side of the business. I don't profess to know programming. I'm, yeah. I love the product. I'm passionate about the product. But there will be people that know a lot more about that than I do. My job is helping the collective team work together, and that resonated with him. I, I just said, "I'm not, I'm, I'm not the hero leader. I'm, I'm just the person that can bring it all together, and instill the passion, and, and together we'll find the answers." And I think that was probably quite distinct from the people, I presume, the candidates that had applied, who might have had a more traditional view of leadership at the time. This was 1994, so I can't speak to who those candidates were, but. That resonated with Paul. I think the other piece uh, is that he said, I'll, I'll support you. I will back you. I will help you learn. And when you have that encouragement and you have that trust, I thought, well, I'd be silly not to not to take this on. And then, of course, my competitive side kicked in and I thought, oh, I'll be young and I'll be different and this could be really cool. And then, of course, I got really excited and it was the best thing I ever did. You know, it's a combination of his instincts his trust and my trust in him to take the leap and do my best and see what happened. And, and I think, not knowing all the answers didn't didn't phase you? No, because I think I quickly developed the what I thought were the right answers and in the end I look back and say we did pretty well as a business. No, and I, I think even in my current role now there are things I don't have the answers for, but I think I asking the right questions and you get to those answers through through your role uh, and, you know, through the work of your team. 
You moved on to DMG? Yep. So how did that come about? Again, that was Paul. Um, so he had set up DMG and I was then leading uh, Today FM and Triple M in Sydney, two radio stations. And he was building uh, a new sort of concept in Nova and um, in the end my choice was to continue to lead those two stations, which I'd done for nine years, or to take a national role, which uh, wasn't available, wasn't wasn't an option for me at Austereo at the time. And he was more, what job do you want? I think Austereo were very keen for me to continue to lead the Sydney business, which was a great job, but he was more about what job do you want and let, let's design a job around you because I want you to come to the business. And again, there was that trust and that faith in me to take another step up and I felt, well, it worked okay the first time, so I'm in again. And I liked the idea of leading other general managers, so I'd done it myself for nine years and my role was leading a team of seven or eight general managers across the national territory. And the business was young and still had growth. Uh, There were still two Nova stations to launch, Mm -hmm. and then there was going to be a second station in Sydney and Melbourne that were auctioned. So there was a sense of being able to build something from scratch, which I hadn't done at Osterio, and uh, that was really appealing. And also a sense that this was the last opportunity to do that in Australian radio, because they were the last of the FM spectrum to be auctioned by the federal government at the time. And I thought it was just an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And I was you know, I'm thrilled to work with Paul again. What was the big difference in format and style and audience? So Austria was still very successful. So Nova was a little more- It was a powerhouse really, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. It certainly was. Nova was a little more creative, uh, more of a challenger mentality. Uh, it, it, it had different sort of philosophies around ad content and it had a self-deprecating charm about it. It liked to laugh at itself. It didn't subscribe to positioning statements or big voices from the heavens saying another hot hit and, you know, no repeat work days. It just did none of that. And it was really, that was quite refreshing. And I think the ad market liked it, that it had fewer ads. And, you know, there was just some really creative, different strategies. And, you know, this sort of whole concept of sounds different was a really nice play on effectively just what was another FM radio station mm. and and network. And that, you know, what's the difference and the challenger thing was really appealing. So they were quite culturally quite different and less rules, less regimented, more inclined just to have a go and try new things. And I think Ostero, through its success, was a very templated, very formatted, very structured business. And, you know, so if it's not broken, don't try to fix it type thing. Yeah, remained yeah. very successful. So Nova, I think Paul's view at the time, and I, I think he was absolutely right, was you don't beat them by being like them. You've got to be different and build your own franchise, and that's what Nova did. Vega. Yes. Do you want to talk us through that? Because you, there's always good learning in one's career. Sure. So there was a there was a second license auctioned in Sydney and Melbourne, and uh, DMG Radio was successful in securing them and launched uh, – Again, another new concept called Vega, uh, FM radio station in Sydney and Melbourne. And they were a hybrid format. So normally FM stations have been largely music format. Uh, AM stations often talk formats. And so Vega was a music and talk format. It played older and new music. And therefore it lacked a little bit of definition. And I think it was uh, just a concept that was hard to articulate both to the listener, hard to articulate to the client. It had a lot of talent, uh, 
on-air talent, um, but it didn't get the ratings that you need to sustain that kind of cost base. And so it, while I think it was a good launch and an interesting concept, probably didn't uh, perform to the level of ratings it needed to, to be the right sort of long-term financial success. So we ended up pivoting out of Vega into a classic rock, rock format, which was a placeholder. We retired all the cost out of the business and just went to a sort of safe place of a, a, a pure music format while we took the time to think about what we would do next. And that became, again, Smooth FM, which was wonderfully successful yeah. in Sydney and Melbourne, obviously became the number one station at times in both of those markets and very profitable stations. So all of those lessons of why Vega perhaps was a, a little ill-conceived or poorly executed were played forward into Smooth, which became a very focused, successful brand launch. Had the Vega concept worked anywhere else in the world? Look, BBC Radio 4 was the, yeah. was the sort of template that we talked a lot about, yeah. but not so much in Australian commercial FM radio. And, you know, I mean, the bigger question would have been, had we left it mm. and for 10 years, would it have built a franchise? Yeah. It may well have. It may well pop up again. I think sometimes we see some of the FM stations and some of these shows having longer form talk propositions now. I know Triple M with its sport proposition is, you know, somewhat more talk based than perhaps a smooth FM. So, yeah. look, I, I think it's still there to be, to be innovated with. It just at the time... With the company we were, the money we'd spent, the shareholders we had, and the you know the timing we set for ourselves, yeah, okay, right. a three to four percent proposition was not what we aspired to. We we wanted a station that rated six seven percent uh, as a good number two to um, to the Nova network. Uh, we had actually ended up building a station that at one stage rated twelve percent, so yeah, right. it was far more successful than we originally anticipated because I think the proposition of that contemporary, easy-to-listen-to lifestyle format of Smooth really hit a mark in the big cities of Sydney and Melbourne where, you know, the pace of business was very, you know, frenetic and there really mm. wasn't anything like it on the uh, on the FM band. And I think the other networks allowed us to have the space. No one copied it. No one uh, substantially copied it. Formats are always moving around a little bit, but we, we got some clear space to execute it, which is great. So over all your experience, what's changed in the last 15, 20 years across across radio from, a, from what the listeners want? Well, I think there's just more options to consume audio and, and music. So, you know, FM music is obviously a big proposition and part of FM radio. So that's, um, you know, the, the radio audiences are still growing. So I think people need to appreciate it's still a, a medium that resonates broadly um, across across Australia and in other territories and other countries. But it's, you know, it's a, an audience that's jumping in and out more, listening to a lot more. And now we have, of course, digital audio yeah. and podcasting yeah. coming up as new forms of uh, on-demand audio. And that's both an opportunity and a threat for existing radio players. Yeah. So is know? it radio now or audio? What do we actually call it these uh, days? I think most of the radio companies call themselves audio. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is right. Because that's, that's the form uh, of it. Uh, I mean, you've got free-to-air and yep. on-demand, and that's yep. some, they're terms that television use as well. So it's very similar in that sense in terms of how the medium's evolving. The thing about on-demand audio is there are 
a multitude, if not a myriad of yep. players, as you would know with this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We'd be one of several podcasts doing similar things, uh, you know, just this week. And so that's a, the economics of that space are very different to broadcast radio. And so they're things, uh, you know, that um, all the operators would now be contemplating in all their, their strategies. Is it better for clients now? And what I mean by that, my advertising spend... Um, a marketing spend. Do I get a better understanding of what that looks like through your analytics? Is it is a better detail for me? Is it more, far more precise than what it was fifteen twenty years ago? Or am I? Well, we're not we're not operating in in audio or uh, at own media, of course. Being being no, no. I was looking back in your previous. All oh, right. So uh, look, I think the the usage cases are slightly different. So you know, I'm now almost a year and a bit out out of it. But yep. but I think uh, if I go back to my most recent experience. The podcasting user experience is about connection. Connect me with like-minded people, inform me, entertain me, let me escape. It's quite immersive. Yeah, okay. uh, whereas the broadcast radio space is about, yes, it's about entertainment. It's about the celebration uh, of songs and, you know, it's a, it's far more of a broadcast sort of proposition. So I think they complement each other quite well. Mm -hmm. And most advertisers are looking for a mix across their audio sort of campaigns these days. So as a CEO working in an industry which is dynamic like this, this is before we get to your new role, mm -hmm. how do you create the space to allow for creativity and how do you test it? That's what I find quite fascinating. Do you have an, a lab or what do you do? Yeah, look, I think you start small and iterate along the way. So the, the obvious place to start with on-demand audio was the best of a, a show like a Hamish and Andy or a Fitzy and Whipper. You would cut it up into pieces and make it available on demand for people to listen to that. And in many cases, those people don't listen 6 to 9 a.m. in the morning. They listen on the way home from work, but it's a podcast. And so these sorts of forms of on-demand catch-up listening were already starting to happen. Oh, okay. And then you start to say, well, can this talent create separate, new and distinct bits of creative themselves? You're also marrying that with what advertisers are interested in. And in our experience at the time, it was financial services clients liked immersive products because you don't really get finance radio, but you do get business podcasts. And so that was a big area. Um, obviously, uh, crime is big and from a listener point of view, but yeah. not an advertiser point of view. So obviously right. being immersed in a gory crime story is not really an optimum advertising experience for maybe every, the average blue chip brand. So that was hard. And I think crime- I guess uh, the audience, doesn't it? Yeah, subscription television, <laughs> I think with crime channels and things have found the same things. So it was a finance, health and fitness, money um, and uh, lifestyle, children, families, those things were tending to get you know, good advertiser uptake. Um, and so therefore you'll see a lot of products created around that space, uh, around parenting podcasts and around, you know, banking finance, personal finances for dummies, you know, all those sorts of things. They're normally popping up around commercialization mm -hmm. and then just great comedic talent like a Hamish and Andy, that's just going to get big numbers and is a great channel, whether it's live through a radio or on demand through, uh, through a sort of smartphone. So, you know, those iconic performers will always have great audiences wherever they pop up. When you're at an organization for a period of time and you're a leader, mm. how do you remain energized? How do you, how do you be still have all the new thoughts? How do you challenge in the right way, even though you know everybody got those relationships? How do, how do you keep your team on the edge? Yeah, look, I, th I think you just keep a keen eye on what's happening externally. I think the staleness comes from just doing the same thing day to day. So 
I'm probably, my DNA is probably about who's going to take this away, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and, and the great quote that we had at oh, some sort of business seminar or something was, you know, the dis- disruptor of your business is probably not a business that looks like you. It's probably a kid in a garage with a laptop, you know, that's that's forging a bullet that's going to take out, you know. So I, I think, you know, perhaps working in competitive uh, broadcast media, you develop a, a healthy paranoia about what mm. what what's coming, you know, either side of you. So I think I naturally sort of live in that space of what's next, where how's it changing, and if you you keep that curiosity high, and it, it comes with a passion for understanding it and trying to work it out, um, you know, you'll get the inputs that you need to strategize as a as a business. Um, if you don't do that, you could be second guessing your customers, uh, have a blind optimism about success because it's always, you know, success is always gained in the past. So, you know, just got to be really aware back to that self-awareness piece about not, about your paradigms and making sure you're not complacent. Um, I don't think I'm a complacent person by nature. I don't allow myself just to kind of sit back. So I'm always looking to shake it up a bit. And so that comes naturally to me. So it's not something I've found difficult, but I can see the trap of success thinking, well, we've always done it this way, so it's probably always going to work this way. Or can it just go back to being a bit, you know, I'll be be glad when this is over and we can just go back to it being easy again. You know, we've, I think particularly in the digital world, this feeling of volatility is constant. It's the new, it's the new normal. So stop wishing that it were like it used to be where there weren't these new dynamics and pure different tech businesses coming into your supply chain. And that's just business now. That's, that's our operating dynamic. And so it's not steady state. It never will be again. And if anything, it's accelerating. So I think you've got to lean into that, in, in, you know, into, into the slipstream of it rather than try and sit back and wonder where you start or if you jump in or if you can avoid it. So that's pretty conceptual stuff, but that, that, that's just my energy around leading a media business in this day and age. And you have to change the team regularly to keep up to, up to speed? You need new inputs. Uh, I, I think the balance in media, from in my mind, is to hold on to what, what you're good at, but also supplement it with the new attributes. And some of that will be migrating existing staff to new skills and some of it will be new people. It will never just be no change. So I I, I kind of, you know, I I look at Omedia and, you know, this, this wonderful sort of brand that's been built off high customer engagement, uh, you know, a lot of uh, data and insights and a lot of one-on-one and education of the market about the power of out of home. It's very powerful. Uh, And in a digital world where increasingly the manual part of planning and buying is going to be automated, it's what's the balance between what you need to do to transact digitally, but also to educate and inspire the marketplace and customers and CMOs about how you endure, how yeah. you innovate in yep. out of home. It's not just a, st- a static billboard that's now digital. You can be in an airport, you can be, you know, in a cafe, you can be creating content beyond advertising that engages people with the screens that might hold your branding. So, and then of course, the data that you might use to find and locate audiences in a retail centre or in an airport is becoming increasingly sophisticated. So I think we're seeing this sort of hybrid existence of the intensely human inspirational sales uh, and inspiration role of, of media with the technical and digital skills to be able to transact in a way that meets the customer. And that is the balance that 
I think every CEO is looking to strike. You're listening to No Limitations with special guest Cathy O'Connor. In our next episode, I sit down with Sarah Hunter, Managing Director of Officeworks. My one golden rule is to employ the most capable people and to make sure that you're aligned from a values perspective. That's my one golden rule. Be sure to join us on our next episode. And now, back to the show. So you're at Nova, quite a period of time. Yep. You've made the move to a new medium. Mm-hmm. What made you make the, the leap? So I had part data and part instinct. I just watched the growth of out of home. And I could see that digitization and the movement from static to static plus digital yep. was growing the sector. Yep. And it was increasingly, I think when I became in a leadership role, it was 2% of the ad market. And then it became 7%. Wow. And okay. in 2019, 7.8%, I think it was. And I'm looking at it going, wow, I think that's still going to keep going. Uh, you know, I can see that digitization is enhancing that sector. Yeah. And I thought, therefore, when the opportunity came up to take for a leadership role in that sector, I thought this is one of the only, and it's a listed business, so I was interested in moving to a listed environment. I thought this is probably a, the last seat. So I went from sort of being, you know, curious to, wow, this actually, the more I talked about the business to the board, um, the more I saw it as one of the great opportunities to lead a growth media business into a digital era. And that's exactly what it is. So what actually is out of home then? So out of home is place-based media. Um, We call ourselves public space media. So really that's about, uh, you know, our purpose at O-Media is to make public spaces better. Okay. And brands unmissable. So we have a broad purpose beyond just advertising. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a civic responsibility with our bus shelters and some of our uh, other place-based environments, cafes, venues, airports, to create the public space to entertain and engage people with our assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, just the utility of keeping people dry and keeping bus shelters clean and free of vandalism and the the work we do with councils every day right across Australia and New Zealand is is there to be seen. So it's a public space medium uh, which is increasingly digital and therefore is able to be targeted, is able to be purchased programmatically uh, and is able to creatively adapt in a way that the static billboard once never was. Yeah, okay. So this ability to target messages to specific postcodes, yeah. times of day. Yeah. Um, you know, I always use the example because it's quite relevant of the COVID campaign where the vaccination rates by suburb are ticking up on the billboard in the suburb. So congratulations, Parramatta. You just reach 70%. So we're using health department data with digital out of home to have live um, vaccination thresholds published right across Australia. And, of course, the hero metric, which is congratulations, New South Wales, you've just reached 70% on some of the larger uh, arterial billboards and the major freeways and so forth in real time. So that, that... is far more than just, you know, a digital version of a static image. You know, there is a real utility to the broadcast potential of out of home that is only just being realised by the operators themselves, the concession partners that own some of the assets and partner with us in the building of them and advertisers. So what is Polly? Polly is a creative team uh, that work with our 
advertising teams and our commercial teams on that inspiration piece. So we have uh, the two billboards, uh, both in Melbourne, that are the only billboards currently in Australia that can do 3D anamorphic video. So you can actually have your image stepping out of the screen and reaching out. Really? Uh, Correct, yeah. So to your point about CMOs want to know what's next, you know, these stories don't tell themselves. There's so many media choices, so much to do, so much to get across as an advertising agency or a small business or a CMO. Our job is to go out there and inspire and Mm -hmm. through Polly, uh, we have taken the best of the business we had owned called Junkie and the best of the studio team at O Media and created a new bespoke creative services unit, which is there to educate and inspire advertisers and commercial partners about the power of out of home in all its forms, both digital and static, uh, both place-based and roadside. So um, it's a really important role. What we do know about out of home advertising is that f- the creative execution is 41% of the effectiveness, the ROI. So right. Yeah. So if you get it right, it'll pay exponentially. If you get it wrong, it's a waste of, you know, a waste of media space. So getting that creative execution working for you drives ROI, which will drive share of wallet, repeat business and loyal customers. So it's part of, you know, how you grow the sector, yep. how you how you educate perhaps TV advertisers about the ability to use these sort of more full motion video type extensions in places and look at it beyond just what it's traditionally known for, which is static brand fame, one dimensional mediums. It does all of that still to this day, but it does many, many more new things. And we need to amplify the extent as the sector's largest player that we tell that story to to everyone we can we can tell it to. So at Out of Homes, is this right, seen by 93% yep. of all Australians? Yes, correct. Okay. So what's Move technology then? Move is the industry measurement. Okay. So as TV has ratings and radio has ratings, Out of Home has ratings. It's okay. called Move. Okay. And that's, um, that's the data uh, that the industry co-funds okay. that tells you the average reach and frequency of an advertising campaign. And now with the latest adaptations of that measurement, which were released in January of this year, uh, it gives you a different rating for a static versus a digital billboard, and it'll give you a score for the impact that you have in the assets that you have, whether you walk by them, you drive by them, whether they're static or digital. So it's it's a data set that we're investing a lot of money into, and it's a whole of industry currency. So you get an apples for apples basis to look at how big the medium is, how it compares to other sectors. I think we've responded to what we're getting from our advertisers, which is we don't want 100 different measurement systems. We want to be able to analyse on an industry basis okay. where you all sit, how my campaigns you know, perform, and then by all means have your bespoke data sets on top of that to differentiate your campaigns. But give me an apples for apples comparison. And it's the backbone of any good uh, accountable Australian or global, for that matter, media business needs good currency, good measurement uh, and reliable measurement. And we've done it with input from uh, industry, uh, consulted our agency partners right along the way. So we're really proud of Move 1.5. And in 2024, we will launch Move 2.0, which will be uh, another level of sophistication to that data. 
and just on sophistication of data, well, how do you predict what customers may want if I'm walking down the street or I've walked into a shopping center mm-hmm. and something comes up or it's a hot day, et cetera? What, like what's, how does it all come together? There's a few questions in that. So, yeah. so let's firstly talk about targeting. Yeah. So if you're advertising, you would like to adver- uh, launch a new flavored milk brand. So in Omedia's case, I can tell you against 37,000 different screens where the heavy consumers of flavoured milk are moving. Through mobile phone data and, and, and transactional data, I can tell you that these geographies, these yep. suburbs, these environments have indexed more highly with flavoured milk drinkers than yep. these other ones. Yep. Uh, and you can do that across 500 different Q segments if you need to. But that's one thing we can do. The other thing is about targeting with context. So mm. you're an ice cream brand and you only want to advertise on a hot day. Yeah. Then we, through our technology, and most out-of-home operators can do this, can put a 30-degree trigger into the tech yep. and therefore your creative will change. It might just be a generic Cornetto brand, but it might be a different brand on a hot day. It might not be active at all unless it's 30 degrees. We can, at footy finals, get the right sort of messages about, you know, meat pies or whatever you want. We can, uh, so so it really becomes that real-time dynamic medium uh, as opposed to the put up a static billboard, it'll sit there for two weeks and take it down again. Now, we, we still do that. And, and what we actually do know from our effectiveness studies is it's a combination of static and digital that's most effective. So with static, oh, right. you get that 100% share of voice, sits up there for a week or two weeks. Digital, you're, you've got a more tactical set of messages and it's how the two work together that can be very powerful. Uh, so, yeah, look, I think most um, most out-of-home operators are now looking at how they get more granularity to what they know about how audiences move around their particular assets. And in our case, we have biographic data and, you know, many are starting to experiment in that. And what's the, uh, the neuro impact factor? So that's part of the move set. That's an industry currency. And so neuroscience is research without questions. Mm. Uh, a lot of marketing marketers and, and even content businesses have used it over the years to um, basically use uh, heat sensors, which sit on the head, uh, and they look at how the brain responds to certain yep. uh, cues, visual cues and audio cues. And uh, what we know is that parts of the brain that respond well are more receptive to memory encoding, which is how advertising is recalled. And so we did uh, the largest, Australia's largest ever uh, neuroscience study, which uh, used this technology to map people's response to digital advertising on out-of-home, static advertising and out-of-home, railway stations versus uh, billboards versus uh, bus shelters, drive-by, walk-by, you know, all every every one of the environments that move measured was subject to a neuroscience study, and we were able to come up with a factor. So you might have, you know, a high impact factor might be a five, which yep. you might get in a retail centre if it was a full motion video. Yeah, okay. Um, versus how you uh, a, a billboard that you drive past on a freeway, or that uh, a bus shelter that you sit in in a suburban street. So it's just allowing advertisers to have a little more granularity about how the impact of each different digital out-of-home environment is impacting consumers. So it's quite sophisticated and we're still educating the market as to how to use it. Um, Of course, what goes with it is also just a very robust reach and frequency 
functionality, which is the basis of all measurement, and now increasingly into the digital environment. It gets a bit technical here, Mm. but we're providing an industry-based impression multiplier. So what that does is, um, as you know, out of home is a one-to-many medium. Yes. So when I buy a digital ad and it's seen by one person through a mobile phone, I know it's one impression. But when I have a digital impression on a big billboard, yeah. At peak hour, there are several people that have gone by. So we need to find a way to to give the numbers of how many people actually see that impression. And so an impression multiplier applies a multiplier effect to that one impression. One impression on a freeway billboard is not one person. (laughs) It's many, many people. And how does the technology and the measurement allow for that? And so this thing called an impression multiplier becomes a base part of the currency so that when you're buying digitally, you have a factor for that one-to-many that isn't currently or isn't required in one-to-one digital media buying. So sorry, that's probably far too much information for anyone other than an advertiser or perhaps one of our staff members. But um, that's part of the sophistication of and the evolution of out of home into the digital era. And is advertising on the way up? Advertising in out of home is certainly on the way up. Uh, you know, we're a sector that had a pretty big knock in the mm. pandemic. Yeah. So we grew at uh, 23%, 24% last year, which is a f- the was still a COVID year, actually, 2021. Uh, and the latest sector results has the industry growing at about that sort of 18 or 19% year to date. Uh, so that's still a good news story for out of home. Yep. Um, and we're slowly recovering to 2019 levels. So, you know, accepting that most media took a bit of a knock over the last two years, but it's certainly a good growth story for out of home. And I expect that will continue into the future. Tricky one for you. What happens if I, um, if I'm in a driverless car, am I going to be looking at that billboard or am I going to be looking at that video in the seat in front of me? Yeah, that's a good question. I could argue that either way. So, mm. you know, I think I think we'll learn more about consumer behaviour the further out we go. Um, anyone that uses cruise control in a car currently, you're certainly looking at the road. Um, I hope so, anyway. You know, and, um, you know, I, I think the same could be said of mobile phones and whether people even look, look at televisions anymore because they're always looking at devices. True. So, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't think this is an out-of-home issue. I think it's a consumer issue. Australia's a beautiful place. People like being outdoors. You know, driverless cars, yes, they're certainly coming, but I, I think substantially we are a population that lives out of home and I'm not seeing uh, the eyeballs to out-of-home assets fundamentally disrupted because of that, you know, growing populations. Uh, you've only got to see how Australians responded to two years of being locked up yep. um, to know that substantially we, we have outside in our DNA and we have the climate and the beautiful physical surrounds and the space, uh, you know, as a, as a geography, a reasonably small population of, over a beautiful landmass. Uh, we're going to see people up and out for many years to come in, in Australia. I can't see us cloistered, you know, uh, looking at screens all day. I just don't do think you, it's a, who we are. What do you see coming over the hill in terms of technology? Um, and the metaverse is, is coming out, obviously, or already out. I mean, I'm sure you're investing in future technologies, but, you know, painting the picture forward a couple of years, what are we anticipating? Yeah, look, I mean, that's some of the things I've already mentioned. I think the whole way in which advertising is bought and sold will become automated. So there are okay. several versions of tech that allows you to do that. Uh, I think you'll find 3D uh, imagery will continue to build, you know, you don't have the permission to do a lot of 
3D stuff in many of your environments because of the safety elements, but certainly you're going to see place-based media evolve uh, and uh, I think evolve quite creatively. And, um, you know, in Out of Home, I think it's about how people move. You know, we're starting to see a good proliferation of electronic charging stations and things that can also, um, you know, be used to to display advertising and whether that works. I think there's, there's, and of course, advances in uh, green technology that allow you to sort of look at power and things and the way you build bus shelters and, uh, you know, there's a whole sort of burgeoning area of innovation uh, and R&D that we're incredibly passionate about as a business, um, you know, looking now, which is going to become more increasingly important into a, a future where the climate is, is, you know, a challenge. What type of people are joining the industry now? What are you hiring? That must have changed. Yeah, Um I think probably from a technology point of view, yes, um, there's always numerous vacant roles for software engineers and data specialists. Yeah. Uh, that's both in the core business, you know, as, as our assets become more digitized, but also in the advertising space. So mm. I think that evolution of the digital experts in the ad side of the business is continuing to grow. The whole sustainability piece and the skills that are required to sort of uh, strategize and, and deliver on uh, your ambitions in that space is is a new area. There's not a lot of available talent, and so you know we're doing a lot of um, it, re-education of the workforce and starting to build and create new positions and move existing staff members that understand the business innately into these new positions and yeah, okay. and supplementing their learnings with the sustainability remit. And so that's um, yeah, there's just two really important areas. I think media is a people-based business. So, you know, incredibly important that we have good people-based experts in the business that understand culture and, uh, you know, enabling performance and doing the things that keep people wanting to work for the business and uh, attracted to the business. So look, I I think everything, um, you know, there's demand for people everywhere. I think media has always been an attractive dynamic space and people are attracted to it. Um, that we increasingly compete with digital companies. So we need to keep our value propositions very current and appealing. And I think we're doing that well. So what's your average day look like? <laughs> Busy. <laughs> um, yeah, lots of, I don't, I don't have a day with a lot of space in it always. I think mm. it, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a combination of, um, customers, staff, um, and, and planning strategizing, uh, you know, it's a business with multiple stakeholders. So we obviously have commercial partners, we have advertising customers, uh, we have, you know, supplier arrangements and obviously our own staff. It's a listed business. Mm. So you have investors. So yeah, my day's pretty busy, but, um, great team around me. So, you know, I'm not a person that sits still. So it's prioritizing the most important things. And have you enjoyed the dynamic or the listed business? Yeah, I really, I'm really enjoying it. It's a very different dynamic to working for a, a private owner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I like, I like inputs. I'm a, as I said earlier, I'm a collaborative person. So, you know, a listed environment with a board of directors that are all coming from u- unique perspectives is a, just, there's a lot of inputs and yeah, I, I, I like the, I like the collaboration that exists across boards. I like the the investor market. I think they have very good uh, good instincts for the business, and they ask great questions. And asking great questions causes you to think about your answers. And I think yeah. it, you know I've learned a lot from that dynamic, and I really enjoy the way that um, you know those interactions happen, particularly after you know half yearly and yearly results. 
And, you know, there's a natural cadence to a listed business yep. that I quite like. There's a rhythm to it. There's an accountability. There's a, there's a critical path and timelines. And that structure, I think, it, as a leader, when you're working in such a, you know, a business that's so vast with so much to do, you've got some natural guardrails with the listed environment, which I find quite helpful. So I, I, I'm really loving it. It's the change I was looking for and I'm thriving in it. So what was the remit you were given? You've been brought in, you've had a founder-led business for a yeah. long period of time, mm -hmm. you're a new CEO, mm -hmm. what are you charged to deliver? Before so, you flick the lights off and you walk out of there one day, sure. what's success going to be? Yeah, well, I, th I think I starting in January 2021, 2020 had been a really tough year in yep. media. So I think the business, you know, the board were just establish yourself and stabilize and 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 reset for growth yep. and you know the board were very supportive in just saying just get across the business understand the business uh and then you know when you come up for air tell us what you think and so it's been a really a really good uh good journey for me it's a, a far it's, it's a big business with a lot of different elements to it uh, right. you know particularly on the assets and uh, commercial and and logistics side of the business, you yeah. know that's a that's a whole different proposition. You don't get that in broadcast television and radio, and it's fascinating. And there's a you know genuine deep capability in the business, and I've just been so impressed with what I've learnt and and what I now know about how this whole medium uh, operates and the the value that it brings to society and and also the the expertise required well beyond just the ad sales side which is very intuitive to me yeah. so uh, i think i you know the, the remit was learn what you can bring in the team assess the team um how know, long do you give yourself to do that you give yourself, that, that your that's that, always a journey thing? to me i don't, i never put pressure on myself you um don't. i i think I think some things happen naturally very quickly yep. and, you know, particularly in a business which had new elements to it, 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 it takes you time to understand the elements and the people. Yep. And so that, that journey is always, is always an ongoing one for me. I'm really comfortable now that we've got a basic, you know, team that is right for the future. Uh, and I think if, if skills come into my team, there'll be supplementary skills. I think we've got a deep sector experience, as you'd imagine, and a founder-led business for over over since the late 80s. You know, there was mm. a lot of people ready to step up. Yep. And that's one of the benefits of it being such a passion-driven business. You know, we've got a lot of depth and I'm just really enjoying uh, now giving the limelight to some of these people that are really ready for the next challenge. And just today I announced a, an internal appointment to CFO with Chris Roberts. And uh, again, a very, very talented executive um, was ready for the move um, and just thrilled to be able to promote from within. So that's um, something I've always liked to do and see succession at all levels in the business. So I don't think that job's ever done. So what's success going to look like, Kathy? Growth. And what sort of growth we're going to be looking at? Yeah. So I, look, I, I would like uh, us to, to be looking back and saying that out of home, is certainly the fastest growing of the established media in the sector, Can, has continued to grow its share of the total media pie with the march of digital okay. uh, and has sort of really cemented its place in the digital ad environment, you know, in the digital media marketplace uh, a, a, and has a sort of prominence and a scale that's unrivaled, um, you know, against other media. So, you know, that'll be growth. It'll be share of... A share of the ad market, um, you know, in the pandemic, I think we went from seven back to five. I think you'll see us get back to seven. I think it should go well beyond that. So I'd like to see it as as 
in terms of, you know, digital media is now taking 60% of the ad dollar. Mm-hmm. So I think out of home can, can march towards double digits and that's where I think we rightly should sit. Okay. And I think early on you said you're a bit of a visionary uh, leader and that's how you um, put things together. Where do you do all this? Is it in the office? Is it when you go for your walks or your runs or your training? Yeah. Every, every CEO has their own. Sure. Why they, 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 what motivates them, drives them yep. and their rhythm. What, what's yours? So it's about inputs and it's then it's about how you bring a team together to be able to articulate what that future piece looks like and how what story you tell yeah. you tell right across the business to your investors and to your staff to 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 your stakeholders right across the board. So for me, um, you know, I, I you know I read a lot, I observe a lot in the sector globally what's happening. Um, you know, I try to look at trends. I you know make sure that my executives, whether they work in technology or or in the product side of the business, are you know doing the same in their remits, and that yep. we're regularly getting off site, sharing those insights, uh, you know, sharing them with the board, engaging the board in strategic conversations, and then the art of it is, what's the elevator pitch? Yeah, explain to me in a in a really succinct way what our vision is, where we're headed, and I think that that you know is something that particularly because in a business like home media where there are a lot of different businesses to it what resonates with the logistics side may not be the right and so that's why we have a purpose that has the word and in it making public spaces better and brands unmissable is very much about the commercial side and 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 the and the advertising side of the business and how that comes together and when we make public spaces better we create better advertising assets and in making brands unmissable, we get advertising revenues and repeat customers, which allow us to do what we do for commercial partners and to, to bid for the contracts that we do and build the assets that we have. So the two are inextricably linked and we're, we're, we're working on that elevator pitch all the time. I talk about it a lot. My team are offside a lot thinking about what story we're telling because I think that sometimes leadership teams in a complex and volatile operating environment with full diaries intellectually know the direction they're heading in but they're not telling the story but good enough well enough I should say and so I think that discipline of how you're communicating where it's all headed you know is is a muscle that I'm you know really intent on you know exercising regularly and I you know you don't you, you get better at it the, the more a team is together and the longer you're together and the more successful you become. So I think it's just having the strategy, having the plan, having the vision is one thing, but how you're telling it and who knows about it. And it can't just be the work of a leadership team and not really something that's felt right throughout the business. So what does an offsite look like to you and why so many? You said you, you said yeah you, because you because of how the diary looks. Yeah, you've well, got you're to, just pulling, you, getting people away. Well, it's a ha- yeah, it's what's ten people, but yeah, absolutely. I, I'm quite disciplined about the balcony time, getting out of the business. Yes, yeah, because we'll never yeah. we'll never do it. You don't do it in the business because your diary is back to back. So we have to be disciplined about getting out of the business and out of the day to day to work on the business together. That's not a new concept, uh, and uh, and we do that regularly, uh, monthly. And, you know, I, I find that's where you, you know, again, to that point about natural cadence being enlisted business with my team, I like us to look to each offsite about where have we got to on the journey, look back and by the next offsite, where will we be on the journey? And I think that's important. Where do you reckon you've challenged them the most thus far? Uh, look, I, I just think it's the breadth of what we're trying to 
contemplate uh, with digital with digital evolution, uh, you know, some of the conversations are quite big and quite existential. Yeah. So, you know, are, are we, do we have competitors or do we work as an industry together? Yeah. You know, they're really big strategic conversations and, you know, they're incredibly stimulating. And, you know, with all these things where you don't necessarily know all the answers, you've got to have your working hypotheses about what the future is. And I think, I think that that's, it's challenging work. I don't think it's impossible work. It's work we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I just think that anyone running a media business is thinking about, you know, where where is it all headed, and in in the environment, uh, you know, what's our working view of the future, and you know, therefore, how does the plan support that? Um, so that's you know, that's just stimulating work, and it's calling on, you know, lots of different inputs, and um, you know, it's just being able to synthesize those and set your plan and. Get on with delivering it. Okay. And, in, and yourself, where do you take the time to think? That's probably when I'm jogging. Um, I wake up with thoughts. Um, it, I'm always thinking. I'm always thinking. And often I find that I, I, I do like running. I think a lot when I run. I think a lot in the mornings, early mornings, yep. um, when I'm fresh. Uh, but I don't think I ever stop really. Okay. And when it comes to making the big decisions, mm -hmm. what's the process? Do you bounce it off many people? Yeah. Or is I, it, uh, yeah, look, I, I, collaboration is a great sort of skill and I, I do it a lot, but in the end you've got to make a call. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think you just – there's something quite um, liberating about making a big call as well. It's like, okay, game on, and, right. and you die knowing, right? <laughs> so I, I, I quite like – That's the, the exhilarating part of it, I like it? the thrill of a big call as well. And also I do think at this stage in your career, you back your judgment at you know, a bit more. So I, I feel a bit less tortured than I might have about big decisions. I go, no, this is where we're going. This is what, this is what needs to happen. Um, so I think you develop a little bit more confidence in making calls through experience uh, so that perhaps I find that easier now than I maybe did in my early leadership career. Have you got it wrong many times? Oh, that's a big question. Uh, you know, I th the main thing is if you do get it wrong, w what happens? Yeah, well, um, exactly right. So, so I think – yeah, look, I, look, I think that's a good question. I think as long as you know what you're shooting for and what success looks like, you get it wrong here and there. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's about how you regroup from it. And that therefore, saying something was the wrong call, we should have gone left and we went right, move on. What do we do next? Let's make sure we make the right call next time. So that I'm not tortured by getting it wrong. I mean, there are scale, there's sort of depth of getting it wrong, <laughs> but um, that's the job. That's the CEO's job. So why did Paul Thompson say once, you're one of the rare people incapable of making mistakes? Oh, he might have been. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what he meant by that, but I'm not sure that's true. Is it because your analysis is that good? You thought everything through? I'm not, I'm not sure I believe that. That's actually not true. I've made plenty of mistakes in my career, so he's probably just being flattering me there, But um, which is very nice of him. But I don't for a minute think that I have not – I'm incapable of making a mistake at all. You learned a bit from Lachlan Murdoch? Absolutely, yeah. What have you learned? So Lachlan, Lachlan was a great leader, very passionate. Um, media is a creative business, uh, have the right people and play big. He was very, and is a very ambitious, passionate leader. So I think I learned from him because when he bought into the Nova Network, we were a distant third. Yeah, okay. And he wanted the number one FM network, and he wanted the number two or number one second stations, and he was very passionate about that. And and he, I think that he he gave 
me a lot of courage to think big like that and uh, play a big game. And I think, you know, the transformation of DMG into Nova Entertainment, we played a much bigger game in the end there. We, we really took a leadership position and lost none of the creativity and none of the challenger, but, you know, really built a very profitable business, uh, obviously not listed. So those the data's often not appreciated how profitable and successful that business became and still is to this day. And, and a great team of people that are doing a great job leading it since I've left. So, um, yeah, he was inspirational, big thinker, ambitious, and, uh, you know, had a crack, which I, I love. So what do you think, Kathy? in general, when you read the paper and, mm. look, and look at Australian business, do you think most of the businesses out there want to play it big? We're very quick to bring people down in this country. So you know, do we play big enough? Yeah, look, it's a, that's such a broad question. How do you how do you ever answer it? You'll see companies that take a risk and do well, and companies that don't. Look, I, I think risk aversion is understandable. Um, you know, businesses, you know, have financial realities they need to meet. You know, I think I think that that answer can go either way depending on the context and the, and the business. You know, in Omedia's case, I you know I I don't think there's a, a reason or a need to make uncalculated risky decisions. I think this is a very, uh, it should be a very confident business with a lot of potential uh, and and a lot of growth ahead of it. But I think every, every oper- operating cost context is different. So you might say a business on its knees has got nothing but a big big risk to take. Yeah, right. um, equally, you might say a very successful business mm. shouldn't take risks at all. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't think there's one truth I, and I, it's all contextual. It just seems like the spirit of entrepreneurism is a little bit more up than it was ultimately because it come out of COVID. But, you know, you see a few interesting acquisitions at play at the moment. Tech, yep. tech startup, although tech's struggling a little bit yep. right now, but yep. it, it's, it seems a little bit more adventurous out there. I think there is certainly a need for at somewhere somewhere in your daily proposition you've got to have a, an eye for innovation and and making bets right um okay. but the risk appetite will be different depending on the business and the context and the industry yep. uh and so you know there's no one answer to that but you know i think having a place for innovation and and a purpose for innovation you can't just do it because you want to do cool stuff right. you know i mean innovation for us should sit somewhere in and around enabling us to be a better out of home operator yep. um, and that may mean a, an adjacent space it may mean a new piece of technology uh, like 3d yep. anamorphic stuff you know i think innovation should sit around the core in a business like ours because we have such a good growth story in my view and good sector the sector has good prospects so you don't need to go and bet over your head you just need to play well and yeah be the innovator and you know go into some nice blue ocean on the side there but um you know there's a lot to be said for just playing to your strengths with this in the sector you know? now we've got um, some headwinds on our way haven't we we've got inflation interest rates we've got geopolitics yep. causing some issues we've got to change we've got a new new government we've got a uh, shortage of skilled labor out there as well how do you see things playing out in the next 12, 24 months and the impact for your yeah. business? Look, I think I think its overall mood is still very cautious. I think we're seeing a lot of reactive leadership from businesses, investors and so forth who are just you know, very nervous, I think, because of the scale of what we've been through over the last couple of years. Everything creates a ripple, perhaps. I'm actually feeling a lot more optimism when I'm talking directly with customers, you know, that, that – 
you know, notwithstanding the pressures on, on you know, sort of household spending and, uh, you know, wages pressures and so forth, people are really feeling the need um, to reassert, you know, the business. Sort Good of time to advertise, out. isn't it, when things can change? You get market share. Absolutely. I mean, there's always opportunity. Um, but again, it comes back to people's risk profile. And look, at the conversations we're having with advertisers are quite different to what they were in 2020 and 2021. So in, in and I think you'll find most most advertising businesses would say the same thing, that customers are still planning. They're still engaging about the future. They want to learn about new things. They want to know about innovations that we've got. They want to be kept informed about way, new ways to, to interact and uh, and to participate with all the innovation that's going on in media. So uh, look, I think that they're, having said that, you know, Perhaps some of the global advertising agencies and advertisers with global alignments are a little more skittish because they've got a higher exposure to to the geopolitics and so forth. I, I think, you know, to my earlier comment, just stop wishing that it were a steady state world. It isn't. And how are you going to operate? How are you going to show up in it? And like every business, if if the market, you know, is tough, uh, you 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 operate differently to if the market's in strong growth uh, and not to overreact either way. And just make you look at your data and make your best assessments, and that seems to be going quite well for us. So to keep yourself razor sharp as a CEO, yep. What do you do? Try to have downtime. Try to take try to take holidays, um, and yeah, just just try to take some time out, uh, four weeks a year. Try to switch off. Um, my version of switching off is doing something else that isn't media or inboxes or phones. So make something jump around, exercise, cook something, read something. So, you know, you've got to try to switch off. Yep. Um, some months that's easier than others. Some you, you'll get, you know, I, I, I say sometimes you go, I'm going to a vortex where you just can't see beyond a 10-day period where there's not going to be a lot of time for switching off. I'm just getting through this and that's okay. Uh, you, you start to see the ebbs and flows of it. And, um, but, you know, I think I think switching off for me is not, a week on a beach, it's just a couple of hours here mm. and there to just sort of decompress and that's all I need anyway to, to reset and try to get sleep. I'm, I'm trying to be a little more deliberate about sleep because I think sleep's pretty powerful and I probably probably have been the person that has a erred on the side of sleep, less sleep than more sleep over the years and I th- I'm getting better at sleeping, yeah, right. reading a bit about it, trying to do things that what are you packing in now, six? Yeah, I'm getting six. Yep, six on a Fitbit, which is normally six and a half. Yeah, okay. Um, so that's pretty good. That's an average yeah. for me now. And if I'm, I had a week off last week and I, it had a seven in front and of it. What, so. it. what it used to be, four and a half? Yeah, I, I, there's bad patches where there could be fours in there. Yeah. <laughs> Fitbit fours, which is not good. Um But also I just say I'm in a, I'm in one of the, I'm, a vortex is often brings the fours. You know, you come out the other side. It's fine. But actually, you know, technology is great because you can use data now to say, don't panic if you have a four-hour sleep. Don't panic because you can catch it up and you'll be fine. And, you know, rather than looking at a four-hour sleep going, I am going to be really bad today because I've had four-hour sleep. No, I'm going to be the same person. And there you get the ebbs and flows. And so I actually now can self-talk a bad night's sleep into a, no, this is the rhythm of sleep for me in this existence. According to the 2021 census from CEW, Chief Executive Women, in the ASX 300, there were 23 CO appointments, only one woman. 
and that was yourself. Mm. How tough is it? So there's two things there. There's how tough do I find it and what is that data about? Yeah. So that data is terrible and there is an issue with the pace of change to gender equality in CEOs in ASX 300s, yep. um, 200s, 500s. Um, so a multitude of systemic and probably societal things go into that, which are probably the whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I do think tackling bias in the workplace is important. Okay. I think supporting all forms of staff in throughout the entirety of a career, right through that sort of family phase through to the other end um, is, is important. And I think businesses being uh, the sorts of places where people feel they can build careers for the longer term is important. I think the lack of women in CFO, uh, head of revenue, you know, and uh, roles, the, the functional roles is is an issue. Yep. The roles that normally become CEOs. So looking at C, uh, gender balance in CEO succession roles is essential. Uh, and, you know, I think there's plenty of, yeah, plenty of commentary on, on the record about all of these things. So I do think the Answers lie with leaders of corporate Australia and how they're holding themselves and their teams accountable to dealing with bias and uh, where it's required in their data will tell them the story, proactive strategies to address the imbalance. I just think it has to be proactive because the passage of time is not fixing it. Mm. It's not changing it, not shifting it. No, the numbers haven't moved much at all. No. So um, this thing about, oh, the more women that are in, that something happens that it doesn't get through to the top yep. uh, in equal amounts. And so you have to have pro proactive strategies to do that. So gender balance in leadership teams and feeder roles to CEO is important. And if they're all men, then how do you change your view of those roles or change your view of the leadership team yep. such that you can get more of that diversity and play to the gene pool, right? Um, half the population, more than half the population, more than half the graduates are women. Yep. Um, so you you're restricting your business from talent if you're not dealing with it. Uh, and it's not dealt with overnight, I understand that. And so I think you've got just got to hold the mirror up to yourself as a CEO and do your bit and um, lead by example where you can. And on an individual basis, has it been tough throughout the career or has it you've had good breaks or any particular advice you'd like to pass out there? Yeah, look, I, I'm always careful not to project my reality onto people. Mm -hmm. I, I like the saying, you're nobody's victim without your permission. Um, I've had a few defining times in my career where I've really had to set a, a boss straight about yep. how I was being unconsciously selected. Yep. Uh, and that, and it was all through a supportive lens. You know, oh, oh, you don't need to think about that. You're having a baby or, you know, that sort of stuff. And it's like, no, 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 don't think about me any differently. And if there's anything that I need differently, maybe I'll tell you we, you should think about me differently. Okay. But I want to be thought about the same way. And, you know, I mentor a lot of women both in our business and outside our business, and I, I think that's important. I can see that even, you know, my kids are now 20, 25, even the kids, my staff and mentees that are having children now are worried about the same things I was. It doesn't feel easier. You know, will I be left behind? And what if a job comes up while I'm on maternity leave? Will they think of me? And or, or and some, you know, don't have that problem. But all these same things do um, still plague, you know, um, the, the sort of minds of, you know, female executives. And I, so I just like to share my experience without 
projecting my reality, but I found, you know, with a couple of exceptions of defining moments where I actually got the courage to speak up and say, don't, please don't treat me that way or yeah, please okay. don't see me that way. Yep. I found, uh, I always found it, their power in my gender. I always found I liked being the only woman. I thought it spoke volumes to be able to show women that it could be done. And I've liked that I've been a role model over the years because, you know, my particularly as I became a working mum, yeah. uh, which was 25 years ago, that, 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 that was less the norm. It's now more the norm. So it's not, but, but I've always just, um, been proud of being a woman and I'm not proud of the fact I'm, you know, in a minority and I want to do what I can to play my role to, to address that part of it in my world. But, um, I've just not ever been felt downtrodden or left behind. Um, and so perhaps that's my optimism. Um, and I also think that influence as an executive is important and, whether a male or a female, just understanding who you're working with and who you're working for and what, you know, how to influence, how to build that relationship and that respect. It's doesn't happen always naturally and just it's part of your job. You need, you know, strategies inside, on the inside and on the outside. You know, yeah. it's understanding who you're working with and how, how it's all working and, and really being attuned to that and working with it. You know, and, and perhaps I've just sort of said, well, this is actually for me to chart. I'm not sitting back going to – because if I sit back, I probably won't get noticed or, it or I will won't, will not be invited to that footy game or whatever it is. This is actually for me to create my own reality here. Yeah. And so perhaps that attitude of not being a victim and just stepping in and stepping up has been something that's made me feel less like it's been hard. And I'm proud. I'm proud of, you know, being a female CEO. I say that. I mean, you know, some people say you shouldn't say have to say you're a female CEO because you're a CEO. It's like, well, yes, of course, too. But I also want uh, I also want to champion the fact that it is possible and you can do all these things in your career and you can have a personal life and come out the other end um, sane. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's just that's a bit about my story. And looking back at the young Kathy who was studying communications all those years ago, mm. what advice would you give her now? Learn coding. <laughs> um, buy, buy certain stocks, buy tech stocks and learn coding. <laughs> Does that make sense? I mean, that's silly because, you, you know, that's not quite right. But, um, yeah, look, I, I think just back yourself, which I, th I think over the, over the longer term I've done, I don't think the, the young Kathy was as confident. And so I, I obviously found success and built that confidence, but I could have started a bit earlier. I don't know. I'm still happy with the end <laughs> where, where it's ended up. So maybe it didn't matter in the end. On that, Kathy, it's been a real pleasure today. Thank you very much for Thank joining you, us. Thank you, Greg. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to No Limitations. Mm -hmm.